Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, my friends, I want to let you all know that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead, after being knocked down, is now available for pre-order. I'll make sure the link is available in the show notes below. All right, my friends, let's do the show. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome, everyone, to the Storybooks. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the story box together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. More than 20 years ago, the world was introduced to a phenomenal woman, Erin Gruel, and her students, all 150 of them, which became known as the Freedom Riders. Their stories featured in the number one New York Times best-selling book, The Freedom Riders Diary, which later on went to becoming a movie starring Hilary Swank, which is one of my all-time favorite movies after I finished watching that movie. And then I read the book, I ended up crying because some of these stories that you hear, they're real stories first and foremost, but these young people went through literal hell and back. And Erin, she didn't give up on her students. She kept on going until all 150 of them will go on to graduate. Erin's story, as well as the 150 others' stories, have captured the hearts of people everywhere across the world. And in 1994, what began in room 203 with a first-time teacher and 150 quite unteachable high school students will go on to build a lifelong community of students and educators working together, driven by the purpose of innovative learning. They have a new book coming out, which is, I think, uh, revolutionary in many, many ways. It's called Dear Freedom Rider, Stories of Hardship and Hope from the Next Generation. So she is continuing to share stories of people uh, young people, especially from different generations, which I think is is honestly commendable. You know, they say don't meet your heroes or don't have this massive expectation when you do meet your heroes. And Erin was one of my one of my heroes who I thought that I'd never have the opportunity of meeting one day. And lo and behold, the opportunity presented itself. I jumped at the opportunity, and Erin did not disappoint in the slightest. This is one 
of my favorite conversations to date. It is a profound, impacting, and really, really special conversation that I hope that many of you will resonate with and enjoy. Erin is just really a, she's a special human being. She has a heart of gold and she is just a regular human being like you and I that is doing amazing things in this world. But her new book, Dear Freedom Writer, you can get a copy of that anywhere books are sold right now. But she shares a story of 50 students from around the globe, so not just in America this time, but all over the place, uh, sharing deeply personal and powerful stories in letters addressed to the original Freedom Writers. The originals answer each letter with a message of compassion, understanding, and profound advice as someone of similar plight, but who has come out of who has been able to come out to the other side. I'll make sure the link for that is in the show notes below. You can uh, also get uh, the Freedom Writers Diary in the show notes below too. Everything will be available, but. Erin has won many, many awards. She's won the prestigious Spirit of Anne Frank Award. She's appeared on Oprah, uh, Good Morning America, The View, and so many others. And she is just an incredible human being. I can't say that enough, uh, but I hope that you guys really enjoy this conversation. So if you do, please share it around to all your friends and your family. Let everyone know about this one. I also want to let you all know that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead After Being Knocked Down, is now available for pre-order. Link will be in the show notes below. It comes out officially September 27th, but if you guys pre-order, uh, that would be greatly appreciated because it means the book gets into many more bookstores. All right, my friends, you know what time it is. It is time to journey into this story box as we listen to the incredible wisdom, the advice, and the powerful, and I mean powerful, stories of Erin Gruel. Uh, thank you so much. I'm, and you, you might have to go back and edit out my my four-legged friend who is sitting beside me. My, my apologies for that. Um, thank you, Jay, for, for having me on your podcast and this opportunity to 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 share stories together. I love stories and I love your story and the 150 now 200 I believe freedom writers and the ones that I guess we can't really count the stories that we probably don't get to hear. So I'm I'm so grateful for your time and don't worry I won't be editing out the four-legged friend because I have a four-legged friend who is just outside my door too. She will probably bark during this conversation as well. <laughs> um, that's just the nature of it but I I, I really do appreciate you uh, Aaron and, and what you're doing in this world. My very first question for you is a question that I love starting off all my conversations with. It is, what does success look like for you? Oh, you know, I, success is, is not monetary or, or accolades or awards. I think success is the basis of why you do your, your podcast is people having the opportunity to live their best life. And I think for our story, uh, the Freedom Hour story, I have been exposed to some of the most vulnerable people who are often mired in in a life that's unfulfilled or, or dreams that are deferred. And and if I can be a part of, of bringing light to a dark place 
or helping give a voice to voiceless people. That's that's really been a success is, is letting people be seen and heard and matter physically and metaphorically. So I think success for me as an educator is is providing that platform for people to to feel that they are part of something that is bigger than themselves. When was the moment for you, Erin, that you realized that that, in fact, was success? Has it been this gradual thing over the course of your life before you even became a teacher, while you be, while you were a teacher, or even before the Freedom Riders? Or was it more? Was there more of a catalyst moment somewhere for you? That's a great question. I. To this day, I have an imposter complex. So to this day, it's, it's, I start every day marveling at how our, our mandate and our movement has continued to grow because it didn't start out with an action plan. I didn't have a blueprint and, and, and there weren't things uh, that I was going to check off a box. Like we're going to, we're going to write a book or we're going to have a movie made about our story. Uh, those, those things were a little bit more organic. Um, so for me, our story started after a horrific event in, in Los Angeles. And this is actually going to be the 30th anniversary of that event. Uh, it came after what was uh, the Rodney King verdict. And for those of us living in America, it was a really horrific time. It was based in racism and authority figures. And these police officers had chased this individual, Rodney King, and it was it was caught on, on film way before cell phones and gadgets. And when they finally caught him on, on a very high-speed chase, these police officers beat him savagely. So I think for those of us living in California, uh, who watched this every single night on the nightly news, assumed that there's going to be a court case, there will be a jury, and ultimately there will be justice. And there wasn't. There, there was a jury. There, there was uh, a court case. But all of those police officers who, who were Caucasian, who beat Rodney King, who was African-American, were set free. And in a nanosecond, in the streets of Los Angeles, um, we had these horrific riots and our city burned and there was looting and, and fires. And we saw that again in, in 2021 after George Floyd took his last breath in, in Minneapolis. So our country is still trying to, to grapple with racial reckoning and, and systematic and systemic racism. And our stories is because of that. Um, I taught in a city that had riots. I taught in a city that had 126 homicides. I taught in a city where my students thought they would be statistics. And so something unbelievably racist happened in my very class. And it was a, a crash, boom, bam moment for me. And my biggest fear was if I, if I don't handle this, it's gonna lead into a hallway, into a courtyard, into a street. And there might be another homicide. And in a city that just had 126 people killed, this horrifically racist incident that happened in my class could ultimately become the 127th. You know, enough is enough. So kind of in that madness, I, I tried to figure out a way to make it a teachable moment and, and not realizing that that teachable moment would be the genesis of, of everything that I've done since. So I guess I'm an an accidental activist because I didn't go in thinking 
that I would have a crash boom bam moment or that the circumstances of our community with all of that destruction and, and looting and fires would, would be a lesson plan in my very classroom. But now we're kind of drawn to drama in the sense that, you know, where there's drama, there's something wrong and there's a societal ill. So we're drawn to trying to make it better and, and, to, and to, to call attention to it. With all these riots and heinous violence going on during that period of time, you're a first-time teacher. Why not leave? Why not go to a move states? Why not get some, somewhere that is safe? What kept you there? It's a great question. I, I think I, I was very blessed to have a, a father who was not an accidental activist. He he was an activist and he was a professional athlete in, in a sport that very proudly integrated in America. Um, and, and some of the, the greatest ball players that my, my father played with or knew were, were part of that integration. Um, that we used to have separate leagues and separate teams and separate schools and, and, and in, our, in our country. There's a lot about our history that was separate. And I believe that when you, when you bring people together, um, from diverse backgrounds, you know, beauty is inevitable. So there was a, a very famous baseball player by the name of Hank Aaron, who was part of those, those groundbreaking African-American baseball players who made the sport better, made, made baseball better. And so I'd, I'd always heard these stories from my dad about some of those legends and, and people he had played with or knew. And so I, I always believed in equity and, and equality and what I didn't realize growing up is that often history is written by the people who, who have power or often win the wars. And that might not often be the accurate portrayal of history. And I guess I could equate that to, you know, when, when we watch the news in our prospective countries and we see what's going on in Ukraine and it's horrific and there's, there's real news in real time. And then in Russia, there's the state-sanctioned news that, that that kind of scrubs it and sanitizes it, and it becomes propaganda. And so I think as, as a young person, a, a lot of the history I was probably taught at my safe schools in suburbia um, was probably history that was sanitized. You know, I, I didn't face racism as a child. I didn't go to a segregated school, but most of my classmates and the people who lived near me looked like me and, and talked like me. And so when I chose to go to a community that was very different than where I had grown up in, I also had to learn from my students. I had to learn their story. Um, and, and in learning their story, I got to be a student, not, not just a teacher. And so even though it was scary um, because we did have homicides and riots, I also learned that it was very liberating because then I could have courageous conversations back home and, and, and build a bridge and, and not a wall. And, and sadly, you're an island. We are a country that is surrounded by other countries. And so sadly, in our country, we do have a wall. We, we do separate countries. And sometimes when you, when you put up a wall, not only literally and metaphorically, you're, 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 you're creating a divide 
a divide and someone is less than or someone is an other. And in the inner cities of America, we had a metaphorical divide. And that divide made people feel like I'm less than because of the color of my skin or I'm less than because of my economic situation. And you can't have equity and inequality when you are treating people like they are less than. So if I left, then then that system would still be in place. And I thought we gotta we gotta change the system. You know, we gotta we gotta we gotta demolish the system. And that's why I stayed. What was your first day like? If you can take us back to you walking in the classroom for the first time, can you please describe for everyone what that was like for you? What was going through your mind? And how did you, I guess, help these kids that were, I guess, closed off to to you and what you were trying to do? How did you get them to understand what you were trying to do? It was terrifying. And I think I went in as I I was a a cheerleader growing up. And I think I took that kind of cheerleading mentality into a classroom and it wasn't welcome. This was, this wasn't a sporting event. I I didn't have pom-poms. And I think my students thought because I was young that I was naive and clueless and, and didn't know what I was doing. And I don't think they thought I would last a day, a week, a month. And so there was a lot of pushback. Um, It wasn't eager students ready to read a syllabus or eager students ready to open up a book. Um, A syllabus and a book was not about survival. And and that's really for a lot of them where, where they lived is where's my next meal? You know, how do I keep a roof over my head? How do I have the, you know, I have an invisible bullseye on a chest. So how am I not a victim or a statistic by a stray bullet? And those are things I never had to fathom. You know, I, I lived in a community behind a gate and my parents drove fancy cars. And, you know, I never thought about food insecurity. I never thought about safety. I, I never knew somebody who was the victim of, of, of violence um, at the hands of a gang or a gun. So I had to start understanding who they were and how we were different, but ultimately how our similarities were what was gonna bring us together. Mm-hmm. The idea of, I guess, the whole concept of the Freedom Riders is, is centered around, I guess, being free. I guess what I wanted to ask you is in your person and what you've learned from these 200 individuals, and I guess probably many more, what does it mean to be really free? What is freedom? That's a great question. You know, I'll go back to the word free in the, in our namesake, the freedom writers that, that are part of my family is W R I T E R S. They write and they, they are, as writers, they ultimately want to write wrongs. We, we took that name in honor of civil rights activists in America called Freedom Writers, R-I-D-E-R-S, who, who wrote buses at a time in our country. Prior to, be, prior to me being born, uh, there was laws in our country that were very discriminatory. And those laws in our country were based on race and economics. 
And our country then and now grapples with what, what slavery was and is. And so after slavery, there was these, these laws that were imposed that were really horrific. They are often referred to as Jim Crow laws. And it went back to that same thing we talked about earlier of separating and segregating. Separating on public transportation, where you could sit. Separating drinking fountains, where you could drink. Separating in, in hotels and restaurants, where you could eat and stay. Separating where you could go to school. And there was Supreme Court laws that separate is never equal. And so people just kept changing the laws and kept trying to, to almost normalize what separation looks like. And so the, part of what I wanted my students to realize is there's really courageous people who were young and they were, you know, in their late teens and early 20s who were tired of being tired and they were rich and poor and Southerners and Northerners, they were black and they were white and they came together and they called themselves Freedom Writers, R-I-D-E-R-S, and they rode buses. And the, and the idea was we're gonna sit next to each other and we're gonna go into communities that are traditionally very segregated and we're gonna show what it looks like to come together. And it was, it was, horrific at the beginning because they were they were attacked and they had Molotov cocktails thrown at buses and they had German shepherds trying to attack these college kids who just wanted to change the laws of our country. And, and ultimately they persevered and our laws changed, thank goodness. So my students thought, well, you know, these young people fought these very unjust laws to ride buses. What if we fight some of this injustice in academia through writing a book. And that was, that was kind of our, our, our first look at freedom. What, what is freedom? For the freedom writers of the 60s, it was riding a bus next to whomever you wanted or drinking out of a drinking fountain, regardless of your color, or, or going to a restaurant and, and being served. For my students, it was equality in a classroom. It was having the dignity to, to walk into a store and not have somebody make an assumption that you're going to steal or shoplift. It's the ability to be qualified for that job and not have somebody minimize your expectations or your intellectual ability. And so for us, we were, we were righting the wrongs of treatment based on prejudice and, and treatment based on stereotypes. So it became very political and I'm not a political person, but suddenly we're like, we're looking at historical stuff and we're looking at the present and we're saying, this isn't right. And, and in a country that is based on freedom, you know, we're, we're fighting for things that should be inalienable rights and it's in our constitution and we learn about it in our history classes, but that freedom hasn't made its way to a teenager yet. So I think for us, freedom is to live authentically, to, to love how you want to love and, and to have those, those options and those choices based on the content of your character, not, not the color of your skin. Mm, I love that. Yeah. I love that definition because for me looking at it, 
from Sydney, Australia to America, I see these things going on. And those are just the things that we actually do see. I mean, there's countless things that do go on behind the scenes that we're not privy to, but we do know that it does go on. Like I'm not naive enough to think that it still doesn't happen. And I guess at the root cause that I've noticed, I mean, I want there to be equality amongst, I guess, human beings, because that's what we are. We're all human. We all have our quirks. We all different ideas, beliefs, you name it. But then we have these things that go on that just spread hate, the spread vile disdain for another human being. And that in of itself, it it hurts to see because I want people to be better. And I guess my question for you is, Aaron, how can people be better? How can, if these things are still going on, what can we do to be better, to bring about more of this equality in our society? You know, I, I coined this phrase in my class when, when my students had separated themselves based on their ethnicity or their religion or their creed. Mm. And it was, it's hard to hate who you know. So we're, we're going to do a deep dive, have critical conversations, and we're really going to get to know each other. And, and ultimately, we became this family. And, and that's part of who we are today is this family. What's really excited, Jay, about this new book, you know, originally, so my authors of The Freedom Writer's Diary, who became the basis of the film, it was this group of students living in the same community. You know, they all might've grown up someplace else, but ultimately they were in my class in room 203 at a high school. For our new book, which is really exciting because the book is, is out in the world and, and the movie's out in the world, that we were able to attract 50 young people around the globe who had stories oftentimes about vile things or about hate and and hurt and to give them a platform not only to write a letter from from a very authentic place but to get a response from somebody who had been there done that and what i'm really excited about jay is that in this new book we have several stories from indigenous cultures uh a maori from new zealand wrote a spectacular story about what does it mean to be a Maori in New Zealand in, in 2021 when she wrote her story. Uh, a young indigenous boy in, in Greenland whose country was colonized by uh, the, the Danes. Um, what does it mean to have your language not be recognized by the country or your school and to be made to feel less than because your your language of your tribe is not something that's recognized um, on the streets or in schools. And then we had a third story, really harrowing story about a young indigenous woman from Canada and, and showing an expose on that systematic treatment of, of what they called residential schools. And recently, when she was writing her story, there was this um, news thread of all of these mass graves of children who were indigenous children in Canada who had been who had been taken from their families, sent to these schools, and when they died from abuse, they were just put in these mass graves. So while we're working on Dear Freedom Writer, my mind was like, 
an overdrive because I'm learning about this little girl who's Maori and coming to terms with her indigenous roots in New Zealand and learning about this little boy who's indigenous in Greenland and learning about this young woman in Canada. And what I loved is in all of the responses to all of these indigenous stories was exactly what you said. How do we do better? Mm. You know, for those of us that didn't know this even existed, how do we read this in a history book? Or we as teachers, how, how do we incorporate some of those lessons into our classroom? Or for those of us that are just citizens of the world, how do we have conversations at a dinner table with our friends and family and say, how do we not know this? Or how can we walk in someone else's shoes? And so for me, even though I'm the teacher and the editor, bringing all these stories together for Dear Freedom Writer, every day for me was so exciting because I would, I would read the, the letter from the student and then I would wanna do research and, and I would want to know more about who they were and where they came from and wanting to have empathy um, and, and wanting to give them this amazing platform to say, you can write whatever you wanna write and we're not gonna censor it. We're not gonna sugarcoat it. But it's also going to it's going to unearth a lot of things that people probably wanted to keep buried. And if you're OK with being a spokesperson for this story, we, we will hand you the microphone. Stories of hardship that are uncensored, that people can read the vulnerability, that side of things. That's extremely powerful to make people. And I hope that as many people as possible can get it they get their hands on a copy of his book and read those stories because stories are the things that they change lives for the better and or hopefully for the better <laughs> um and i just want to say thank you so much Aaron, for putting all this together for making it all happen to make a big difference in this world and do a positive change i'm grateful that i could be a little cog in the massive wheel of spreading this incredible message around. Um, I've got a couple more questions for you, Aaron, because I know your, your time is very valuable. But Dear Freedom Writer is, is a new book, new 50 stories. Was there any story in there that you can share with us that sort of surprised you at all in any way? In every story. Uh, these kids, you know, the, the youngest writer was 10, he just turned 11. And the, the oldest author that from the new generation was 20 turning 21. So they were, you know, they were mostly teenagers. And then our respondents, uh, so there was a letter, like a cry for help sent from a, a teenager somewhere in the world. And then the response was either from my original freedom writer or from a freedom writer teacher that I've, I've had the honor of training and working with. So there were some stories, once again, that when, when they were stories from outside of America, those were the stories that I was the most excited about because we, you know, we, we worked on this project in the middle of a pandemic. So it was, you know, my classroom was room 203. So we, we called it Zoom 203. So on Zoom 203, we had all these different time zones and all of these different languages and 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 all these different storytellers and the only part of the equation that we cared about was commit to this journey and commit to this family and no matter how painful your story is 
there will be healing. There will be hope. Um, so sadly, there are stories of suicide. There are stories of mental, physical, and, and sexual abuse. There are stories of, of inequality based on race and religion. There are stories about police violence. There are stories from war-torn countries, a genocide in Rwanda, ISIS in Kurdistan, stories about identity, sexual identity, or, or otherwise people coming to a country seeking asylum or, or being a refugee and not, not knowing what flag represents them. And so for me, as, as the, the leader of this beautiful orchestra, um, it was cacophonous at first because there was a lot of tears and sadness that something like this would happen to a kid. How do we just love on these kids and, and save them from, from losing their innocence or save them from, from any kind of abuse? And then it became a rallying cry is how could this story become a cautionary tale so it doesn't happen again in another city, community, or country? And so I think the, the stories that were the hardest for me was also stories of, of current um, current violence. Uh, there was two storytellers, one in the Gaza Strip, a Palestinian girl, and an Israeli boy in, in Tel Aviv. And they both wrote stories about the 11-day war that happened in, in 2021. And they were writing the stories while the war was taking place from very different perspectives. And oh my God, oh my God, it was amazing. Um, the little boy in, in Tel Aviv is hearing impaired. So when they would have the sirens to go into a bomb shelter, he, he couldn't hear the sirens. So all of that um, fear of we're at this war and, and bombs might fall and, and I can't hear them. And then on the other side of, of the wall is a little girl in Palestine writing about the mass destruction that happened in her community and, and, and wanting peace. And so that was, that was an amazing duo. There were two very different storytellers, different letters with different responses. But I, I love that we had that combination of, of those two storytellers. Um, as I mentioned, I loved the indigenous stories of, of, of native folks and all three of them, the, the Maori, the Canadian and the gentleman from Greenland focus on something different about being indigenous. One was about language, just the pride of an original tongue. One was about um, culture. You know, where, where, where do I fit into the culture? And, and one was about what they called intergenerational trauma. And, and how do we stop the intergenerational trauma for all those that, that go after us. It, the book is mind blowing. It is, it is a page turner. And I just hope that when people sit down to read it, even if it's not their truth, that they will marvel at, at someone who was brave enough to face their fears and someone who was courageous enough to tell their truth. And, and that's what I'm most proud of. Well, I for one cannot wait to get my hands on a copy of this book. I have the original Freedom Writer's Diary, which people can go and get a copy of. 
Yeah, definitely. That book in of itself was a page turner. The movie keeps you hooked all throughout, honestly. But Erin, do you still teach in Room 203? Well, that's a great question. Uh, with the pandemic, uh, we 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 call it Zoom 203, and I am still very much a teacher. And oh. what I what I love about teaching is that my classroom is not just a small classroom at Wilson High anymore. Um, so I, I through the, throughout the pandemic, I've, I've worked with uh, fifth graders all the way through graduate students at a university. So if, if those that saw the movie knew that I had multiple jobs when I was a high school teacher, I still have multiple classrooms. But, you know, teaching is what I do best. And it's where I, I feel the most comfortable. And it was hard to, to change standing up in a classroom and looking at my students and then suddenly to be in my pajamas in the corner of my office and, and looking on a screen. And so what I love, Jay, is that you're in Sydney and I'm in Long Beach and you're in Australia and I'm in America, but Zoom brings us together. And so I, I had to adapt because I, you know, I'm older and I, I didn't have the technological skills when I was learning to be a teacher to adapt to teaching virtually or electronically. So I, I had to go back to school essentially in the midst of this, this pandemic because I, I had to learn a different way to teach and a different way to connect. What do you love the most about yourself and your story, Erin? That's a great question. I would say, I want, I want to quote someone else that we put on the spot. Um, her name was Meet Geese and she was a, a very simple secretary who made a commitment to help the Frank family for two years during the war. And, and not knowing how long it was gonna last, she just made a commitment to Otto Frank, her boss, that as long as they were in hiding during the Holocaust, that, that she would bring them food and, and rations and paper and, and ultimately hope. And my students, after reading the diary of Anne Frank, brought her to our classroom, brought her into our world. And she was tiny. She was, you know, she was like four foot nothing. And, you know, she looked like this little angel. And one of my students said to her that he had never had a hero, but, but she was his hero, which is you know, such a sweet thing to say to somebody. And, and she felt very uncomfortable with that. She said, no, I'm not a hero. I simply did what I had to do because it was the right thing to do. And I always think about that because, you know, in her mind, she was an ordinary person. To us, she was extraordinary, you know, and in her mind, she did the right thing. In our mind, she was heroic and, and you know, like better than a Marvel character or a DC comic on, on a screen in a movie theater. So I too, like Meep Geese, feel like I'm an ordinary person. I just have been lucky to surround myself with extraordinary storytellers. And, you know, I too want to believe I do the right thing, not, not for, for accommodations or accolades or awards, but because it's a calling, you know, it's, it's, you know, education to me can make things better. Education to me could equalize unfair playing fields. And so I think that's why I'm so proud of being a teacher in, in all the different forms and fashions. And I think that's what I'm most proud of because when you do teach, 
there's a moment where someone has an aha. There's a moment where a light bulb goes on and there's a moment where someone gets it. And if you could be privy to the aha or bask in the glow of the light bulb, um, it is blinding and it is beautiful. I think your story is inspiring because you're the one that was the catalyst to move all this forward. I mean, if it weren't for you, Erin, and not giving up and facing all the hardships that you no doubt did with trying to help these students, we would never have the Freedom Riders. We would, I don't think that would, would have happened. So I am so grateful for you. You're, you're, in many ways, you're a hero to me on a personal level, on an inspiring level, because when I first saw the movie, then I didn't know there was a book. Then I picked up the book, read the book. I was crying and was like, this is an incredible human being that was the, the catalyst for starting a lot of change. And the, the fact that all 150 went on to graduate and go and do amazing things in the world and they're continuing to do amazing things, that in of itself is incredible. I mean, I'm using these words on a consistent basis because it's true. Um, so, Erin, thank you so much for, for all the work that you're doing. Where do you want people to connect with you to get Dear Freedom Rider or even uh, Freedom Rider's Diary, all these wonderful things? Where do you want them to go? Wow. Well, first of all, I want to say to you, Jay, thank you. Thank you for, for knowing our story. And, you know, as a, as a teacher, what's, what's very humbling is there are these classics that become part of a, a literary a literary canon that that educators always use as their go-to, you know. And and for me, there was these stories and storytellers that, you know, to me, their their words leapt out of the pages of a book. So all these years later, to know that my student stories are are in a classroom, or my student story is on a screen or my students' stories are inspiring a new generation of writers and a new generation of storytellers is really humbling. And if I, if I really think about it, I just want to weep. And, 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 and they're, they're tears of pride and joy and, and acknowledgement that it, it has become something so much larger than any of us ever anticipated. What I'm, what I'm so excited about though, is when somebody discovers us, you know, and it, and it becomes a very intimate personal experience. You know, our, our book, believe it or not, there's some, some stories that I've heard that I want to share with you. Our, our store, our book is the most stolen book out of American libraries. And there's something about that, that I love that, that someone, I'm not, I'm not encouraging anybody to steal a book, but that a kid who's in a really difficult place finds our book and, and, for whatever reason, doesn't return it because they need it. Because um, I did, I did a conference for the for the the libraries here in America, and and a librarian was really upset about that. She just couldn't believe that the Freedom Mars Diary always goes missing. And and I I thought I'm not going to get mad about that, you know, because somebody needed it at that moment. Um, we get a lot of books. I'm sorry, we had a lot of letters from people who are incarcerated in, in jails or prisons. And I love that somebody in, in the penal system finds our book and writes a letter to us 
it's amazing because somehow our our story is about hope and about change and, and doing things differently. And so I, I think when, when people find us, however they find us, um, I love there is a personal connection. Um, like you, uh, a few years ago, um, Freedom Riders like poked me and said, we should, we should start a podcast. And I thought, oh, nobody wants to hear me. I'm annoying. I'm breathy. I, my voice is raspy. And they just were relentless. And I thought, nobody cares what I have to say. And I, I wouldn't be a good host. But we, we started a, a podcast in earnest called the Freedom Riders Podcast. And there was a, a podcast we had done about mental health and about addiction and, and, and suicide ideation, how they were all kind of wrapped together. And our, our guest was from this family dynasty in America, the, the Kennedy family. And in America, we, we don't have kings and queens. And I know you're a commonwealth, but in America, we have the Kennedys and they have their own version of Camelot. So we interviewed a, a member of the Kennedy family, a, a famous politician who talked about these, these dark secrets about alcoholism and drug use and, and sabotaging and suicide. And when I was interviewing this Kennedy, I was weeping and I proving to myself, like, I'm not a good host because I'm like snotty and crying, but I was blown away at how honest he was. And I kid you not, Jay, we, we put it out in the world and we get this beautiful email from a man in Australia who found this podcast. He doesn't even know how. And he said, I was, I was driving through the streets of Sydney and I had to pull over and I had to listen. And I think you saved my life. And I don't know this gentleman in your country on your very streets, but to have been found under those circumstances and this person got help because this person also was struggling with mental health and addiction and suicide. And so whether people find our book or our movie or, or our podcast or stumble across us on a social media platform, I'm just so honored that when there, when there is that moment of humanity that they, they let us know um, it's the, in almost fashion, so it's the old-fashioned letter written with a pencil and, and, and lined paper and a stamp. Oh, it's like a, a gift falling from the sky. Like, I just, I just love going to a post office. And I just love, I just love getting a letter because it's, it's really tangible. And I, I, I find myself carrying them around with me. You know, I know kids have everything in a phone, but for me, it's, it's, I got a letter from a, a boy who I'd met in jail on, on Christmas day. And as he was going back to his cell, um, I brought them books and I brought them cupcakes and I stood next to where they would have to go back to their, their pods. And, and it was demoralizing. They were in orange jumpsuits and they had handcuffs. And I just looked at this beautiful boy and I said, you want a, a fist bump, a high five or a hug? And he, and he went in for the hug and it lasted forever, almost inappropriately forever. But I, I just, I knew at that moment 
you know, I had offered and it was Christmas day and, and, and that was, um, this beautiful moment. And the letter I received a couple days after Christmas with a pencil lined paper and a stamp was that this little boy was part of the foster care system and, and didn't have parents. And then he had woken up on that very holiday and had wanted to die and looked around his cell in that jail for a way to die. And this warden came in and said, you have a visitor. And he said, excuse the vernacular. He said, oh, you know, I thought he was full of shit because no one ever comes to visit me, especially on a holiday. And he walked into a room with the other uh, cellmates. And I was there with a red dress and, and pearls and a hug. And he apologized in the letter for the, for the hug. And he said, I, I've never had a hug before. And I just didn't want it to end. And Jay, I carried, I carried around this letter in my purse for the better part of forever. And it got, you know, it came apart at the seams and it was, and I just, there was something about somebody going back to a cell on Christmas day and, and being so vulnerable and being so tender and, and, and writing a letter about a hug, about reading our book in his cell and having a connection. And so I, you know, I hope maybe one of your listeners will, will find us that same way. Maybe they'll stumble upon this podcast. Maybe they'll go and, and order a book or, or rent a movie. And maybe they'll reach out to you or maybe they'll reach out to me. And in reaching out to you or to me, we get to carry them around with us. I almost don't want this conversation to end. Seriously, I could just listen to you share stories forever. Thank you so much for, for being vulnerable with me and sharing those stories. I guess my curiosity is playing up right now. Have you seen that young boy? Uh, yes. The beautiful thing is we became um, very close with the the jail and the wardens that run it. And it's become our annual holiday. Um, you know, a lot of people wear matching onesies on Christmas Eve or Christmas and, and do, you know, all, all the silly things you do on a holiday with um, waiting for Santa. And it became our, our go-to place. So every, every holiday we, we made a vow to this kid that we were going to, we were going to go back and that he wasn't allowed to be there. You know, this, this was, this was his last time to be there, but he was always welcome to come back and, and be a part of that. And I'm really sad. I don't know about in your country, but in our country, jails were hit the hardest during the, the pandemic. You know, when, when COVID made its way into places of lockdown, um, we, we lost a lot of lives and hospitals and, and, and jail cells. So sadly, the last two Christmases, um, we've not been able to go and, and love on these kids. So I'm hoping this year in, in 2022 that we can go back and, and, and bring some more books and, and give some more hugs. I hope so. I really hope so. Erin, this is my final question for you. I'll make sure everyone knows where to find you, get a copy of your brand new book and even the old ones too, because I feel like they are needed, especially in today's day and age. 
This is my all-time favorite question. I love asking all my guests at the very end. It's a hypothetical one, but I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you, not the Freedom Riders film, but a different one, of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got all that material. We'll call it magic for sake of argument. They've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? Wow, Jay, that's a great question. Um, While I'm thinking about that, we just celebrated the 92nd birthday posthumously of Anne Frank. We are going to celebrate the 97th birthday of a Holocaust survivor um, on April 13th, Renee Firestone. So I've been really blessed to have people who whose spirit in Anne Frank's case, it was her legacy that lived on in, in this beautiful Holocaust survivor. It's her legacy who's, she's still alive all these years later. So I, I've been really blessed to be around people who, who've reached an old age. And I, I wanna be really truthful for the Holocaust survivor. It's been really hard for her. Um, because politically in our country, we had uh, a very difficult president who said very discriminatory things and she didn't understand why the world wasn't listening. You know, she, she lived through Hitler and concentration camps and, and why were people standing idly by? Um, what's happening right now in the Ukraine is so devastating that more can't be done to to solve and to stop war crimes happening on a daily basis. So having just spoken to her recently in in this ripe old age, she was so angry that that those words of never again are are happening again. So I would hope if if and when I reach 100 that, you know, we've been fighting for equity and, and all forms and fashions. So I would hope that I could be surrounded by people who love how they want to love and live how they want to live and and are honored for that, not not separated or or discriminated against or or judged. That that would be the, the most beautiful thing to be in a room that's as colorful as a box of Crayola crayons. And every person in that room that's as colorful as a box of crayons um, can think outside the box and color outside the lines. And 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 in that beauty, um, really bask in 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 the diversity and the beauty that 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 is gathered. Um, and I think the the mantra that would be woven through that video would be love. I just I. I I believe in love in, in all forms and and not not romantic love, but just love thy brother, love, love of humanity. So that's that's what I want to see. And we got to get to work because I'm, you know, I'm older and I don't I don't want to wake up at a hundred and 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 experience what my friend is experience, experiencing when she watches the nightly news and her heart is aching. She she said to me, there was um someone who was about her age who had been to Auschwitz as as she had been and to several other concentration camps. And 
he he survived and he was liberated and he left the concentration camps and went to live in Ukraine. And her tagline was, he survived Hitler and then Putin killed him. And this Holocaust survivor in their 90s just died in the streets of Ukraine. So I don't want that to be part of my narrative. I don't want that to be part of my story. I'm, I'm hopeful that we as a society can, can do the work and have the courageous conversations and stand up to bullies at bully pulpits so, so that love can abound. I feel like that is a perfect send-off message for a lot of people to think on. I think there's a lot of things that you've said during this conversation that's going to spark hopeful change as well as get a lot of people to think. I know I'm thinking right now. Um, I'm going to think for the rest of I'm alive, I think. <laughs> but Aaron, thank you so much for your time today and your story, your wisdom, your advice. And for joining me on the Storybox podcast, I am so grateful. Well, Jay, I, you're, you have an invitation when you come stateside to America to come and be part of our, our Freedom Rider family. And my dream is to come to your beautiful country and and to see you in Australia. So I'm, I'm so glad that, that Zoom and technology brought us together. And I just can't wait till we can be together at the same time in the same place and and not just do a virtual hug, but do, do a good old-fashioned hug in person. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the Storybox, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.